You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Hi, and welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 20. As always, if you've got a suggestion as to someone I can interview, or if you'd like to discuss anything you've heard in the podcast, you can send me an email to hello at rachelasimpson.com. And don't forget that you can like, share, follow, subscribe, favorite, all that stuff on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. And now for today's episode. Today, I chat to Dan Yi, co-founder of Salvage Specialty Coffee in Artaman and of Artificer Specialty Coffee Bar and Roastery in Surrey Hills. Dan shares about his career journey, how he started out as an electrician. He talks about his faith in Jesus, understanding grace, plus so much more. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Dan Yi. I grew up on the leafy North Shore in Sydney, um, around the Gordon Clara Pimble area. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to school at Linfield East Public School. Laps, we used to call it, <laughs> and then um, high school at Barker. Yep. And what are some of your early memories growing up there? Um, growing up in that area, yeah, it's good. Like it's a lot busier than it used to be. Yeah, it was kind of nice. Like I mean, my parents. I think we originally lived in North Ride mm-hmm. when um, I was young, and we moved to my grandparents' place in Kalara and lived there for a few years. Um, wow, they had a multi-generational household. Yeah, yeah. How was that? It was cool. Um, especially because my, I mean, mum yeah, had me when she was quite young. Uh-huh. I think she'd be cool with me saying this, that uh, like I actually hear the story all the time about my parents, how they, um, I think my mum was 22, just turned. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was 24, 23, 24. Um, they... In the first, in one year, they got married, had me, seven months later, started a new business, got a mortgage, and went interest rates for like 17.5%. And yeah, I don't know, it's kind of cool, like that they battled through that, you know. And then I think my my younger brother, who's three and a half years younger, um, (laughs) like mum saying that, yeah, they were so poor and when uh, she found out she was pregnant with my brother Michael she just cried for like a week straight wow you know? it was just hard back then I guess and they were so poor like I think dad used to siphon uh, petrol out of my mum's company car and put it in his <laughs> like that's how poor they were wow you know? um, yeah I mean they're you know relatively you know not like that anymore were um, they born in Australia? Um, Dad was. Mum was born in Papua New Guinea. Um, big Chinese colony there. But she moved down when she was um, around 10 years old, I think it was. Um, and grew up here, went to school here. I think she went to Monty. Yeah, grew up here. Dad grew up here. I think he went to Dremoyne Boys High. Grew up in that area. They met at a petrol station. <laughs> like really? through mutual friends. Okay. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, the rest is history with those two. Wow. Uh, and they live in Kalara now. And was the Chinese culture or the Papua New Guinean culture part of your upbringing? Yeah, not really, hey. I think um, 
I think my mum going to school in Sydney, um, plus my dad, you know, he's half-ish Chinese as well, but he's definitely more, like, he's Australian. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at him and you can tell there's a bit of Asian in him, but not much. Okay. Mum looks Chinese. Um, but you spoke, if you spoke to her on the phone, you'd think she had blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah, and she, you know, when uh, she had me, I think she was working at General Pants back in the day back when it was like the original crew um, selling skateboards and stuff. So, oh, wow. Um, you know, birthdays and Christmases were always skateboards. Awesome. And, <laughs> you know, grew up living in that shop almost in Chatswood, I think originally. Yeah, good memories from like being in that shop. Yeah, right. You know, stealing all the stickers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it was kind of fun. Like, I think, I guess growing up in that area, um, you know, mum would work in Chatswood, going to school in Linfield, growing up at my grandparents' place in Kalara. Um, it's on a relatively busy road as well, uh-huh. um, Eastern Arturo Road, which I think is Birdwood Avenue. And they're still there, um, but we used to skate, like, up and down that street and literally on the main road, which you could never do now. But back then it was, I guess it was quieter. You yeah, know, talking right. like 30-odd years ago, 30 years ago almost. Um and what did your dad do? So he was just working, like he had a small business that he was starting up, which he still has now, which is not a small business anymore. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it's like really cool to see that progression of him work super hard when he was young. Like the thought of going through what they did when they were 24, I mean, if I was that age, useless. Like I would be useless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but uh, it's kind of cool. Like I admire my my dad and my parents a lot for you know especially my dad with the business side of stuff um really uh, just working really hard and it's really cool to kind of see how that's paid off over the years you know a 30 odd year old business um it's rare nowadays i guess yeah um, for sure and zero desire whatsoever to take it over <laughs> <laughs> like it's a chemical bump company that imports from japan and germany and distributes around um but he consults for both those companies worldwide as well. So, yeah, zero interest whatsoever. Like, it bores me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, won't be a family business. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, I admire them a lot for that. Great. Especially just getting through that, um, you know, and just, I mean, I guess they had a bit of support from family, but not a lot necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while they were working, I guess that was the thing about school, going to primary school in that area, we'd come home to my grandparents' place. And there was that culture of just being fed when you get home, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of nice. And, uh, yeah, they're still there. Both of my grandparents are still there. Oh, um, really? Kicking on. Um, it's, a, it's this, like, total nursery in the backyard. There's, like, classic koi fish pond, which I remember them building when I was young. Wow. I remember there being about... 15 people over like must be cousins and relatives and friends and stuff building digging this pond out and building this little bridge over the pond and Mm. uh, making the concrete tiles that are still there um and me wanting to help out and them telling me to get lost because it's (laughs) in the way um so i remember getting a which still exists i'm i got a bit of concrete and i made this little stone wall amongst these sandstones and it's still there um that I filled up with water yeah, <laughs> and right. made my own little pond. Oh, like it's a still mini there, one. A mini pond. <laughs> yeah, 
it's hilarious. It's wow. And was any form of God or spirituality or religion part of your world? Not really, except for like a primary school, we had um, like religion once a week where we would get split up between all our different um, denominations or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of Jewish kids there, uh, South African Jews um, mm-hmm. when I was there. I think out of say 20 friends, I think there was only like four of us that weren't Jewish. Um, I was in a Catholic group, which was relatively small. I think there was like six of us, mm-hmm. which is odd. I, I think it's pretty odd for that area. Also, my my grandma was um, practicing Catholic as well. Um, and also, and that kind of also, I think, stemmed from my grandfather's sisters. Um, two of them, oh, sister uh, is a nun and brother is a priest. Wow. Um, I think... Anyway, I think one of them, the nun, is in Darwin, maybe, and she's been there for a while. But um, mm. I still remember, like, probably my earliest recollection of God or religion or anything like that was um, this sister uh, taking me around the backyard uh, where there's, it's like flowers and plants everywhere. Mm. Like, you don't feel like you're in sydney wow <laughs> you know it's crazy um it's a hipster's dream there's succulents everywhere <laughs> you know um little did i know they were cool back then um but uh yeah i remember her taking me around the garden walking me around and i must have been about six or seven i think mm-hmm. and she would be pointing at everything like who made this flower and the answer was like she taught me the answer was god yeah. So she walked me around the whole garden for about half an hour, holding my hand and saying, where is this made? Who made this? You know, God. Oh, uh, wow. Who made this? God. Why is the sky blue? And why are there clouds? You know, God made them. That oh. was, yeah, I can particularly remember this persimmon tree, <laughs> like randomly. Um, yeah, and her, like pointing at the persimmon and saying, you know, who made this? Like me, my answer was always God. You Didn't really right. know why, you know, <laughs> yeah. except that she had told me. But um, yeah. Was it something you thought much about or not really? No, not at all. Yeah, not, right. as, not when I was that young. Yeah. But it was probably, I don't know, maybe the introduction to their actually understanding that there's something maybe bigger than just this world. You know? Yeah. That things just existed, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. And how about school? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, love school. Mm. Um, love primary school. Always had lots of friends. Um, never hung out. <laughs> it could be stemming from maybe my parents, but never hung out. Um, like it was pretty segregated in primary school. All the um, you know Jewish kids hung out with each other. All the Asian kids always just hung out with each other. And I never hung out with all the Asian kids. <laughs> okay. It was weird. Yeah. Um, and you didn't see yourself as part of that No, community. not at all. Because, yeah. I mean, the... Maybe because they spoke Chinese and I had no idea how. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I can understand a little bit of Cantonese, but relatively, yeah, I'm pretty bad as far as carrying the, the baton <laughs> with linguistics. Um, yeah. Just mm. Australian now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but school, love school. Um, love sport, loves all that stuff. Um, loves hanging out with friends every day. High school, loved it. So easy academically easy uh no i guess like (laughs) i mean academically i always did okay like it wasn't like i always did okay 
actually it was until so Barker when I was there um, it's uh, boys only until year 11 when I was there I think it's year 10 now but year 11 it turns co-ed girls come and they have this chat at the end of year 10 that <laughs> when all the girls come, like they say when all the girls come just so you know you probably won't necessarily be friends with the same group that you are now it'll change and shift around and we looked at each other and went yeah as if that'll happen mm. anyway as soon as the girls came everyone spread and changed friends Wow. And I remember going through this stage of um, jumping around from group to group because I was kind of friends with everyone. And there was at Barker, there was 300 odd people there. I think 307 in my year. Wow. Yeah, I remember jumping around and basically coming back to the same sort of group that I was in, which happened to all be Christian. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that they all were at the time. Um, But they all knew each other. They would all talk about... um, what they did on a Friday night at youth group. And I was like, ah, I guess. Like, I, I think by then I knew that that was a thing. And um, <laughs> I'd heard about, you know, youth group and what that was throughout the years as well. Yeah. Um, but I uh, never went, ever, actually. <laughs> <laughs> didn't um, interest you? Well, it would, did not interest me. just didn't think that I was, I don't know. I don't think it didn't necessarily interest me. I just didn't think, I don't know, maybe I had to be invited to it or yeah. no one ever invited me to go. No one so, invited you? No. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And, uh, but I think that was like year 11 and then that's when I guess, you know, like we had Christian studies courses that, um, once a week and, uh, you know, just naturally you have these things surrounding you and you, you start questioning straight away um mm. so I, I think i started going back to i think i went to church with my grandma a catholic church um where she used to go in linfield yeah for the first time in forever oh yeah and i actually got went did a confirmation when i was like 11 oh yeah and it was horrible it was the worst thing i've ever done like <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing mm. i just knew it was some religious thing that my grandma and mum oddly wanted me to do like my parents aren't christian or anything Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, totally had to go like take communion, which I thought was weird because a little wafer thing got stuck to the top of my mouth. <laughs> but we got lessons in how to take it, like how to yeah. put your hands and how to what to do, and and we had to go and uh, I had to go in the confession box as a, an eleven year old and mm. tell this old guy across. There was no barrier between us it was just across a little table okay telling my sins and i straight up lied to him i'm like i'm not gonna tell him <laughs> real stuff he well, made up sins yeah some guy i don't know i just yeah. made up stuff and i was super broad yeah right like i think i said which i would never use that word in normal conversation especially as an 11 year old i think i said i i, I dishonored my father <laughs> hey never use the word dishonored and don't call him father you know <laughs> Um, right. You know, I called my brother an idiot. Super broad. Mm-hmm. And he said, go say six Hail Marys mm-hmm. or whatever. A couple of um, Lord's Prayers. And uh, I don't even think I did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I did two and gave up. <laughs> yeah. And I remember mum going, uh, did he, what did you say to him? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I just told him lies. And then <laughs> and she was like, did you have to say Hail Marys? I'm like, yeah, I did. Like, it was stupid. Yeah, that was weird. Mm. 
But uh, no, school was like kind of fun. I think from there, that's when I started. They were all going to St. St. Andrew's um, Church in Wurunga, like mm-hmm. lots of my friends. And uh, and there was a crusader group at school, which okay. I started going to. Um, started going to church with my grandma. Kind of all happened all at once. And definitely going back to a Catholic church with my grandma with hymns that were in Latin or... Yeah, and the priest just reading out stuff that I had no idea what it was. Like, nothing really made sense. And a lot lot of ritualistic kind of traditional stuff mm-hmm. that I also questioned again um, was, like, very much, I don't understand the point of this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's very religious and not very, um, like, it's very box-ticking um, and not necessarily something that would actually make me change the way I live. I think. Was there like a moment or a process for you that did kind of change your mind? Yeah, it's something pretty simple as well, like relatively. Mm-hmm. I guess growing up, you know, I'd learned lots of stories at primary school from these religious studies um, of who Jesus was, that he died on a cross, um, who God was, that he was, you know, his father. Um, and, uh, no real mention of the Holy Spirit back then mm-hmm. from memory. Um, but it was very much back then. Uh, I think I even remember this, my mate asking this question. His name was Stephen. And he asked, so if I just went out and killed a whole lot of people, spent a whole lot of time in jail, and then just before I was about to get executed or like electric chair um, and said I was, a, I was, you know, a Christian or a Catholic, I think he said, um, he'd go to heaven. And she was like, yeah. Mm. The teacher was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, really? And I guess that mentality, not necessarily that instance, but that mentality of just being a good person, um, believing in something or saying you do, um, was all that you needed to be in heaven as opposed to not be in heaven. Um, I didn't even really get what heaven was. I just knew it was a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, than maybe what earth would be um, and uh, it was yeah very much a works based kind of religious thing until um, a mate explained like the concept of grace that you you know I'd heard of but it was mainly what you say before a meal <laughs> yeah you know as opposed to a concept and um yeah, he explained the concept of grace and how, you know, there is... I guess my question, my big question was, okay, if I can make my own way to heaven, why did Jesus die on the cross? Mm. You know, what's the point of that? Yeah, to take away my sins, but I'm already going to heaven because I'm good enough. Or, I, you know, have said that I am good enough or whatever. Yeah, and it's so much more than that. I think when he explained grace and that... There were, and he said basically the opposite of what I thought. You know, there is nothing you can do to get to heaven. You can't be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be perfect. And that's what is being asked of you in a way. Um, yeah, and explained how, you know, I guess it put relevance to who Jesus was, being perfect, being the son of God, and that being the only um, thing that was, you know, sufficient for... Um, absolving those sins you know and uh and that's what grace was it was a free gift you know it was nothing i can do nothing i need to do but um you know everything that i then did um was in response to that 
as opposed to, you know, ticking a box to be a good person and getting to heaven. Yeah. Um, which kind of looked the same on the outside, maybe, you know, um, but it's what was at the heart of the actions then was mm. the knowledge of that grace, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and like he explained grace to me and I was like, ah. and there was a cool thing that I wish I actually remember doing and I don't, but I remember calling up his, my mate Tim and calling up his house and his sister picked up the phone and I'd called him to tell him I was a Christian. Like I, you know, had understood this now. Mm. And um, she remembers me calling up and saying, hey, um, I'm a Christian now. And being really excited. I don't remember making that phone call at all. Yeah. Um, which I wish I did. <laughs> and um, yeah, she's like, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was like, wow. that's cool. Um, Steph, her name was. Yeah, she's probably, I guess, the first person that I really told you know, I don't remember it, but, you know, um, and then started going to St. Andrews in Wurrungar and being part of that cool group that everyone was in. Okay. <laughs> um, and this is an Anglican church? Anglican church in Wurrungar. It's deep into the, you know, leafy North Shore, <laughs> rich North Shore, giant mansions and Water Street in Wurrungar. Um, yeah. Um, beautiful building, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I was there for 15 years. Wow. I think around that. So school was great. I love school. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing was I saw all my friends every day. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, you know, it was where um, thoughts, like I guess I was taught to think about life mm. rather than just do life. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, that's, I guess, a really pivotal part. It's really funny now uh, thinking about um, some of the, the sermons and the messages that were given at chapel, which I found so boring at the mm. time. I'm now friends with my chaplain, then chaplain's daughter, <laughs> you know, you know, running a Bible study with her in it. Mm. You know, it's kind of funny because I yeah. remember her as a kid. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, a life that's structured and you do you have all your subjects every day you see your friends every day food is there <laughs> sport is there. you know lots of sport mm -hmm. such an easy life like school's great mm. um would totally go back yeah i wouldn't but great life at the time seems kind of stressful especially um thinking about you know what you're meant to do for the rest of your life yeah which no one knows did you know what you wanted to do back when i was in preschool I remember, and I was standing on this like log plank that was suspended by chains. It was like a bridge. Uh huh. And I think it was like one of my friends asking me what I wanted to be. And I said I wanted to be an F1 <laughs> like driver, ah, like a Formula One driver. Yeah, right. Obviously, that never happened. Oh. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but that was when I was like five years old. So, you know. But then after the, at school, I still had no idea. Okay. And it was interesting at school. Uh, yeah, almost, especially being a private school. And I totally understand why they have this mentality, but they shove everyone. The, it's basically a funnel into university. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you about anything else. Trades, like, um, you know, apprenticeships, um, 
you know, it looks good if everyone goes to uni from mm. there, which I understand. Or becomes a sportsman professionally. Um, but uh, yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do after school. And it was one of those things where you weren't necessarily taught to work with your strengths at school with the subjects that you're really good at, but more what would get you a good mark and a high paying job at the end of it. And that was probably influenced by my parents as well. Mm -hmm. So I did all these courses that like these, yeah, courses that I probably didn't really like, I didn't actually like Mm -hmm. to get an engineering job Oh, okay. or to study engineering at uni, which I didn't want to do. Like I didn't, like it took me about a year into it going, actually, I don't want to go to uni. I don't want to study more. I've just studied for the last however many years, 15 years. Yeah. So you started an engineering degree. <laughs> no, I didn't even. So wow. I think out of the 307 people, I uh, was the only person in my year to become a tradesman. Ah. So I left there and did um, became an electrician. Okay. Um, did an apprenticeship, uh, worked as an electrician for about six years, four years with my uncle who was an electrician. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just wanted to work with my hands rather than study and waste time doing that again uh-huh. it's still the best decision like i made career-wise i guess yeah right and just uh even if it wasn't for the skills um but for the mindset of you know what i don't have to follow the trend of everyone else mm. i can do whatever and come out the other end okay yeah um you know and then that led into a lighting consultancy kind of role um separate from that with another company for about four years and then yeah natural progression to coffee <laughs> so were you always into coffee or do you remember no, when you first got into it uh my first actual memory of coffee was like my mom with instant you know nescafe blend 43 two scoops of coffee <laughs> two scoops of sugar and milk. um do you still let her drink that? <laughs> uh, she would drink it, I think. Actually, I think she still does. Probably less the sugar. Mm-hmm. But she, no, she's stepped up to Makona now. Oh. You know. <laughs> and Dad has really stepped up the game to um, those uh, landfill filling Nespresso pod things. Yeah, which out of pure convenience, which I totally understand as well. Mm. Um, but they're horrible for the environment. I guess like I think I originally got into coffee actually I'm gonna be brutally honest here got into coffee because I needed an escape um, from uh, just stuff that was going on at the time relationships um, friendships and going through a really rough time it was probably the darkest point in my life I reckon mm-hmm. like in about 2007 I think and um, yeah, it's just one of those really low moments of life. Like, I, I don't even remember a lot of it as well. Like, that year is just a blur. And uh, I guess there's a certain trauma that goes with that as well. Yeah, I've never really had depression or anything like that, but that was definitely the lowest point. And, yeah, I saw parts of me that I never knew existed. Mm. And definitely have been always been the, um, I guess, I don't know if it's... Um, a generational thing or uh, maybe a Chinese Asian influence but never really growing up um, was encouraged to show emotions mm-hmm. especially fear um, it was very much um, suppressed that 
and not show it. So I guess my parents are great parents. They did the best job that they you know, could do. But probably, um, you know, I didn't have the emotional support that I probably needed. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, like, I didn't even realize that I needed, I guess. Uh, but as far as practically, you know, just the best parents ever. Yeah. Um, and seeing how, like, what their parents or my grandparents are like, totally understand as well why they mm-hmm. are like they are. You know, and I think when I became a Christian in, like, end of 98... Yeah, it also brought, I don't know, emotions with it and ones that you don't necessarily can hold back anymore. And so I have always been the emotional one of the family. Okay. I'm the crier of the yeah. family, you know. <laughs> um, you know, we'll be the one instead of like getting angry and just leaving, would have yelling matches down the hall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, maybe not because of that, but it definitely has brought out... Um, an emotional side from other family members as well since which you know is interesting but yeah that dark year was kind of coffee was the escape for it in a way it was just a distraction from what was going on maybe so just immerse myself in something else yeah and distract myself and coffee seemed to just be there it was weird um and pausing on that dark period for a minute yeah how did your faith in god or how did god kind of sit with you at that time yeah like it was pretty lonely that's for sure Mm. um but it was um yeah god was always i guess falling back on what i knew um of who god is um who god was and um i guess bigger picture than myself Mm. Um, yeah which is hard to do when you're going through such an insular kind of dark period yeah Um, but, uh, yeah, um, knowing that, I guess, living in this world, whether, you know, good or bad times, you're always going to go through adversity. And mm. I guess knowing bigger picture that you, A, have a God who actually personally does care for you, despite the enormity of the universe, mm. um, you know, and have had seen in the past in my life over and over again, um, and of God working and um, and also knowing that I guess after 80 odd years um, death isn't necessarily the end of my life but it's the doorway to you know eternal beginning mm. um, you know and a, and a happier place where there is no fear there is no there is no anger there was no dark places anymore mm. um, was kind of that's where I found comfort um, I think some 46 mentions that a lot as well um, and just being you know still in knowing that uh, yeah there was comfort in that but it was hard when I guess there are out, outside um, things out of my control yeah like other people and what yeah. they're going through mm. um, that made it hard I think but you know God was good got me through it gave me coffee you know a different avenue um, mm. And that's where I yeah, left light the lighting industry and got this opportunity to work in coffee um, as well, which was, yeah, really cool. So you started as a barista? Uh, not really. <laughs> so it's kind of odd. There's a scene, um, like there's a barista competition scene. Mm. Had no, um, 
no inkling at all to compete as a barista. But uh, I thought, like, I like the technicalities behind a lot of things, but coffee in particular at that time. Uh, I like the technicalities behind it. I liked if you change certain parameters on an espresso machine, say, that would give a certain outcome in the flavor. Mm. Kind of like cooking. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can cook a steak a hundred different ways and get a different outcome, even though it's the same piece of steak. Mm. Um, same with coffee. Immerse myself in that. Um, ashamedly got onto the coffee forums and would contribute on those. But I guess met have met friends through that as well. Is and this like online forums? Yeah, it's online forums. They're super nerdy. Oh. I think it, yeah. You know, and I look back on that and I would never go on them now because it just gives opinions to people who probably, and myself included, didn't, shouldn't probably give an opinion on. <laughs> um, but it gives a platform for that. Yeah, got into that, started um, competition judging, which you didn't actually have to work in the coffee industry to be a judge. You just had to pass a technical and a sensory exam and, you know, start judging, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, so I started doing that and then one thing led to another. You got a few coffee events, got asked to uh, like potentially leave what I was doing at the time and go work in that industry uh, by you know people with people I totally respected and knew I would learn a lot from. And I was like, oh cool, you're gonna pay me for what I love doing. Sure, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously uh, started um, working with, so I started working uh, at a coffee roastery, learning how to select coffee, how to roast coffee, and then how to brew coffee as well. Like whether it be in an espresso machine or a plunger, you know, Mm -hmm. how to get the best out of that. Um, And then um, took a barista role as well to get on that side of the machine and work on customer service and hospitality and see how cafes run as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just got the opportunity to do that. And I guess despite all that, like I think um, what the biggest draw card for me was actually getting out from behind a desk, staring at architectural plans all the time to mm-hmm. actually having human interaction. Um, that was the biggest thing for me um, that ultimately kind of went, maybe you should do this, you know, because that's kind of how I've always approached work as well. Just opportunities come up and not always take them all, but, you know, kind of do a risk management on it and see, you know, the benefits of maybe just changing career or whatever and mm. being open to it, I guess. Kind of like going back to the school days with deciding to do an apprenticeship instead of going to university. What do, you know, what are the benefits of doing this instead of what everyone else is doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. And met a whole lot of cool people from that worldwide. Like specialty coffee is relatively small. It's a pretty small community. Like everyone knows everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all kind of oddly, when I was getting into it, Twitter was a big thing um, and still is for the coffee industry. I met a lot of people through that um, that I would consider really close friends, even though I've met once or never. You know? Yeah, right. Um, but, um, you know, when I do go to la or anywhere like even europe um you know you've got a couch to sleep on (laughs) it's kind of really tight small community like that nice Um, which i loved you know i think it's a great community yeah i'm not sure where this fits into your timeline but you Mm. ended up winning quite 
a big award for your coffee. <laughs> yeah. So that was like later um, after, yeah, after that stuff. <laughs> it yeah. was, um, it's kind of funny because, I mean, the Sydney Morning Herald give out these cafe awards, which Jill Duplay used to give out. And it's in- it's an interesting thing because you don't necessarily build a cafe to win that award. Mm-hmm. And like personally, do not care about it one bit. Okay. Um, but from a business sense, mm-hmm. it's like if you do get awards from um, your business does better. Generally. Right. It attracts people. And it wasn't till 2013, the start of Australia Day when we opened Salvage. And I'd already, you know, which happened on a whim as well. But um, yeah, I'd left for a trip to like, I think I was, I'd planned a holiday before we even started that um, business and um, to the US and was over there. I remember being in Santa Cruz and I knew these awards were on and they, um, yeah, we'd, I think for salvage, which we'd thrown together um, as a bit of fun for us, as an outlet for us to do what we love doing and, and not necessarily to make any money or anything. Um, yeah, got a, a two cup award, which is, we were surprised that we were even getting a show in at all. Right. Um, but then winning, uh, they have a one, like a Sydney's Best Barista Award. Mm-hmm. And they've, I think they had two, they'd had two previously and this is the third year. They gave that to me and I wasn't even in the country. And anyway, it was kind of cool. <laughs> I remember waking up, my phone was just like messages. Mm. Um, didn't like, it was kind of like super surprised at the same time, didn't really care about it at the same time. Um, business at salvage went up 30 or 40 percent within wow. a week or two and um that was kind of the point where we we're like maybe we should keep this place open instead of do our original plan of six months have fun and sell it oh okay <laughs> yeah so salvage is your first cafe yeah which is still going still going how did it sort of kick off um so i'd left air um at the time uh, where i was working i'd been at for a few years which had given me great opportunities and great place to learn, but um, was always just bigger than I would ever want to manage. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I think the we'd been eating ramen in that little courtyard in Nataman um, for years, looking at this deadbeat cafe, think, thinking someone should just open something good there. It's a no-brainer. Um, it's, you know, got all the bits to the equation that from our experience would make a good you know viable business mm. and the week that i left a felice sign came up on it called them up and i was sitting there with two other mates matt and toby and um um just went hey we're pretty burned by that last place we're at let's you know do you want to do this we do it for six months put no money into it i think we put nine thousand bucks each in and um five weeks later yeah we got the keys and five weeks later we opened on australia day like 400 locals rocked up and we're like ah <laughs> maybe this might be a thing <laughs> yeah um but yeah and then that and then like a few months later the awards thing happened and then you know i think that was the point where we decided to stick around and it was kind of nice just like doing something you love and people loving it too mm. you know it's kind of nice is that sort of how you measure success because <clears throat> you're saying you're not so much about the awards how would you measure success yeah definitely not uh necessarily monetary um mm-hmm I think this is a certain satisfaction in doing what you love doing and other people appreciating that. Mm. Like personally, um, a lot more than the money. But obviously you need that to um, 
keep the ball rolling on people loving what you're doing and mm. if you can yeah you know, i think i use sell out um very loosely here but if you sell out and um do uh, do many things that you don't actually love doing but gets people in the door um you know there's there's you know it's not a bad thing either but mm. we really wanted to do something that we just wanted to do do nothing that we didn't like um so everything that we put out we're proud of and if people loved it there's like yeah there's a lot more satisfaction in that than just taking someone's money mm. and i think if money was the objective for me i definitely wouldn't have done artificer <laughs> mm. so that's your next venture yeah. in your world yeah and it makes no sense financially <laughs> you know but I think that's the thing that surprised us the most. Um, do something exceptionally well, like without selling out, without you know maintaining a whole lot of ideals, with the opportunity to compromise on those ideals um, if we have to, but to set a whole lot of ideals that okay, ideal situation would be, um, you know, uh, just do coffee, just do one thing, do it well, select and buy the coffee that we want, um, roast it how we want, and serve it how we want while bringing people meeting people where they're at so not being elitist about it but just doing an exceptional thing but meeting people where they're at and dragging them them up with it um yeah and not not having any food or tea or chai lattes or milkshakes or pastries like zero except for coffee um yeah and coffee that we're probably not charging like we're charging what's like part of meeting people where they're at is the pricing as well if we charge as a ratio the same you know the same ratio compared to what most people are paying for um, what roasters are paying for with their coffee you know we'd have to charge nine bucks a coffee wow but obviously people will have no one coming through the door so <laughs> um you know we make a not a loss but we make a smaller margin you know, for people to hopefully appreciate something better and having a space that we can communicate what actual quality is in coffee and mm. it's not necessarily just what you prefer you know, uh, yeah. Lots of people love average coffee. That's, that's kind <laughs> that's of what I'm true. trying to say. Yeah. And they're cool with it, which is fine as well, you know. Because mm. um, there can be a bit of elitism in that scene. Totally. And it sucks. Yeah. And we, you know, the space was to have a place that looks nice and fancy and possibly, you know, elitist, but um, carry across uh, an attitude that is meeting people where they're at. Mm. but also having you know, quantifiably some of the best product coming in the country. Um, yeah, and but not making people feel stupid for ordering stuff that elite coffee people don't want to necessarily make. Yeah. You know, which is so silly. There's so much of it in the coffee industry. Mm. And um, yeah, it's crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it that you love about the scenes? Yeah, like I said before, um, the coffee is a big part of it, but it's more what the coffee brings, and mm. it's the people. It's a community because it is surrounded by, you know, it's a flavor thing. You, and especially being in Surrey Hills, we're surrounded by chefs and, you know, other restaurateurs and cafe owners and um, lots of uh, designers and it's a real creative kind of suburb, I guess. Lots of architects and stuff. And so being in that area, um, you're kind of in a place where people appreciate quality or recognize it a bit more than others, mm -hmm. even if they don't necessarily know why it's better. 
they know they trust people who it's their thing you know yeah it's definitely the community aspect um the locals it's great you know knowing people by not just knowing them by name but or just their coffee order but what they're up to on the weekend um how they're you know seeing their kids grow up Mm. you see them born and see them turn into kids over the years um it's kind of cool um you know handing their babies over to their barista who does that you know what i mean but that happens daily really um you know and i don't know it's amazing what people tell you um over mm. the coffee machine um we're probably the only people in a lot of people's lives who say hey how are you today mm. every day yeah <laughs> you know? right. um you know and they can say yeah just good or they'll tell you hey um yeah, I'm wearing, I'm usually wear a suit, but I'm wearing tracksuit today because I'm going to the doctor because uh, I got diagnosed with um, prostate cancer. Mm. It's like, wow. And you just told your barista that, you know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of cool. Um, that coffee is given that channel for that um, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's obviously more than just the coffee. Mm. Um, it's the community. It's the, the ability to speak to people. And I guess coffee is that thing. It's a communal drink. It happens when you're catching up with a friend. You're like, hey, let's go out for coffee. Mm. You know, it's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> so to be a, you know, a mode of transport for that communication, it's kind of nice. Um, yeah, that's a cool way to put it. Mm. And for people that would like to be professionally in the industry, what kind of advice would <clears throat> you have? Um, definitely get rid of the elitism. That's for sure. It's funny, like I met lots of people all, all over the world like who are totally top of the game in the coffee industry mm-hmm. and 99% of them, which you would think have every right to make the big calls on things, uh, would be the first people to say the, you know, the more we learn, the, the less, you know, the more we realize we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so true as well. Um, and if you think you're on top of everything, they're the people I'll, I'll walk away from mm-hmm. and not listen to. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, Yeah, obviously there are things, yeah, I don't know. It's like with life. If you can be so definitive on things that, you know, don't really have much hold on them, it's, yeah, you know, your your personal credibility, where is it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think it's just having a bit of um, honesty with it is kind of good. Um, It's hard. Like, you're working hours that... Um, are there to serve when people have their time off you know yeah right um, before work mm-hmm. you're you, you know we're waking up at 5 5 30 in the morning to get to work mm-hmm. we're there before you get to work you know two hours before you get to work yeah and also weekends like the th- I think if you ask most people who work um, nine to five from Monday to Friday jobs in the CBD um, to work all weekend the thought of it is horrible. Yeah. Whether for us, it's for me, working Saturday and Sunday is just normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Monday and Tuesday off, which I love because no one's around. Mm. Um, roads are clear and beaches are clear. You know, as well on Saturday and Sunday, people are having picnics and they're having, you know, barbecues and having brunch together. Yeah. But you miss out on a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and you just have to, you have to be prepared to make sacrifices as well. Mm. which for a you know sort of extrovert introvert um works totally fine with me not hanging out with people all the time you know <laughs> um yeah uh you know i spend all day having 
200 conversations, starting 200 conversations with people. Mm. It's hard sometimes for me to go to a, a group of people and especially people I don't know. Like my nightmare is, <laughs> is after work, someone going, hey, do you want to come to this party with me? There'll be about, you know, 80 people there. Um, will I know anyone? Uh, you'll know me and uh, have you met so-and-so before? I'm like, I'm not too sure. Uh, you should come anyway. That's my nightmare. I wouldn't go. Like, I would, unless I was feeling particularly energized, there was no way I would go. Right. I just want to switch off. Uh-huh. Um, you know, come to my apartment, sit in front of Netflix and drink <laughs> a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, small groups, I love. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's funny after spending that time. And I love the time when I am at work and with people. But um, yeah, after work, I just want to switch off. Mm. So yeah, you got to be prepared for I don't know be pushed different ways and also work really hard um, you want to work in a cafe it's a really really romantic idea the idea of working and owning a cafe yeah the reality is you work there's so much competition and you either have to be way better than them which often means compromising on uh, you know on your margins Mm. Um, you have to be open longer than the cafe next door that everyone's already going to and you have to give them a reason to come to you Mm. Um, their product might not be as good and people still go there because they know the name of them Mm -hmm. you know they they know them by name or they've been eating that same thing in that same routine every Saturday morning they're going to go there it's that you know um, you've got to be cool with all that so yeah I generally steer people away from it, to be honest. Oh, yeah? Um, unless, you know, I, I know them kind of. Not because you don't enjoy it, but because it's not for everyone? It's not for everyone. Okay. The idea of it, like I generally tell people the, and um, yeah, generally tell people the reality of it. It's not, you got to make lots of sacrifices. Um, mm-hmm. this, and especially if you have a family. Like I think, you know, not having a family or married, I, I've taken advantage of that fact and mm-hmm. really put my heart into work yeah in some ways <laughs> <laughs> I mean artificer one of the ideals was that we have a good work-life balance and um, only work five days showed you my business partner has two kids and we value that so you know we work you know longer than some people not as long as others but 45 hour weeks two days off um, we could do and achieve a lot more if we work more hours but we choose to not you know, things would get done, but we take longer to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, we knock off at 3.30 on a weekday and 2.30 on a weekend and have a life outside of work, hang out with other hospitality people, which naturally happens because they have the same hours and the same days off. Mm. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, you got to be, you got to be, if you want to do the whole cafe coffee thing, you got to be cool with change. Mm-hmm. Um, and change you might not necessarily like. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. There's a few friends who have families and run cafes and own cafes. And they're a zombie of who I used to know them to be, you know. Yeah. Um, and their family suffers for it as well. Mm. So it's kind of, it's hard. I would definitely never put my all my eggs in one basket in one cafe. <laughs> That's for right. sure especially coming from like a corporate background or something, you know, sea change and oh, I'm going to have a cafe instead of working in on the 46th floor of KPMG, you know, mm. not a good idea. 
<laughs> but idealistic. Totally. And do you have any reflections on being a Christian in your particular industry? Yeah. Um, so hospitality, it's kind of the... I feel like you're exposed to a lot more of the real nitty-gritty of society. Oh, yeah? <laughs> than, you know, obviously, like, working in corporate land, um, there are things that aren't necessarily kosher or aren't necessarily, you know, like... Um, suit representative um but uh in hospitality it's you get a lot of everyone real mixed bag you know from uni students to especially being in surrey hills it's just you get everyone Mm. um, from every background rich um you know very rich and also very poor like we're surrounded by um like homeless shelters and things like that at the same time have probably the you know, some of the richest people living around us, you know, $5 million terraces mm. down the road um, uh, from, you know, lots of Christians, lots of religious backgrounds um, and also, you know, gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, mm-hmm. everything in between. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of people with lots of really strong views about things. And so being a Christian amongst that, I guess my whole life christian life anyway it's actually trying to bridge a gap between people Mm. um be cool with having the conversations but being like totally you know secure in what i believe to be truth not forcing that down people's throats but just meeting where they're at i guess Mm. having a conversation without um offending you know who they are or their you know personal um beliefs or whatever but open to conversation um yeah, lots of my customers know I'm Christian and um, lots of people I work with as well. Um, like my business partner's not Christian, but, you know, we talk about it like they definitely know it's a thing. It's a big part of my life. It's what drives me to do what I do. Like it's a big part of who I am. Like it is who I am. So I guess when you believe something to be a truth, you can't just negate it mm. all of a sudden pretend to be this other person. Mm-hmm. Um, um, <laughs> if you have any sort of integrity. But... Um, yeah, you're kind of exposed to everything in the hospitality industry, especially like chef land, lots of drugs, lots of cocaine, lots of everything, lots of getting drunk after work, um, especially with food and wine. It's a natural thing to just not necessarily drink to get drunk, but drink a lot, taste a lot of wine or taste a lot of beer or taste a lot of, hey, we've got this new X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, uh, you're exposed to a lot everything <laughs> you know uh, but I don't know I feel like everyone's got a place and a role to play on earth and I don't know I think I've yeah I really feel like my role is to bridge that gap you know um, great you know not get in stupid Facebook arguments <laughs> um, you know being so definitive about one thing or other, but actually open up the doors for conversation. Mm. And over your journey, has there been a particular Bible passage or story that has been really significant for you? Definitely um, back when I first became a Christian, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I think verses 8 and 9, um, talks about grace, you know, what grace is. And, uh, you know, for it's, you know, by grace you have been saved, not through works. And, mm. um, 
And by works, like, yeah. what does that look like? And so I guess like going back to when I was considering Christianity again and what that was, um, you know, back then works were the, the way, the means of getting to heaven, you mm-hmm. know, having this restored relationship with the God, um, you know, and understanding what grace was, that it was a gift and not, I, there was nothing I could do to work my way to heaven. Yeah, and so being very mindful of, um, you know, and in and no way perfect and no way have this under control, but try and be mindful of um, everything that I do be a response to what has been done for me, as opposed to I need to look like this because this is what Christians look like. Mm. Um, but just be, you know, open to being who I am, not perfect, flaws and all. Um, being very transparent with that i think showing the flaws of humanity um and not expecting things to ever get resolved or be perfect ever again here on earth Mm. Um, just being real with that you know um when when in the last you know couple thousand years have we ever had a war where there was a positive outcome you know Mm. where there was no losses (laughs) you know where there was a facebook argument where everyone came out happy at the end like you know um yeah it's just it's a fallen world um whether it be um mass murders or um a relationship where i don't know someone just starts being super selfish all of a sudden anything about them or not the other person you know it's whether it's happening at a small level like that or a big thing there's no one is perfect and we've all got our flaws um and just being real with that just keeping it real Uh, but knowing that there is more than that Um, so i guess like that passage stems a whole lot of thoughts but also um i think i had a skateboard once that had um printed on it um psalm 25 um which was um about i think it talks about um it asks god to show me your ways oh god um teach me your paths and that's definitely a, a question that i ask Uh, myself and you know pray that as well Um, I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) I have no idea like if you told me back when I finished school that I'd be doing what I'm doing now would like laughable yeah there's no way I would thought even a year before salvage happened I I do remember saying I'll never I'd never want to own a cafe it's too much work Mm. and now too (laughs) you know (laughs) I guess just open to opportunity um, and just being mindful of, you know, what that will maybe lead to as well. Nice. Um, yeah, the kind of two passages that come to mind right now. And what does the future look like for you? What are your hopes and dreams for that? It's what I was, I was telling someone the other. Someone asked me uh, what my five-year plan was. My five and my ten-year. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing in like five or ten days. Like, I <laughs> have no idea. Yeah. I mean, even like just alluding to what I said before, I had no idea what I was going to have be in coffee land. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no idea when I was leaving school that I was necessarily going to become an electrician or that would lead to lighting consultancy, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have no idea. Hey. Um, I guess, I guess hopefully maintain some of the things that, uh, I've worked hard for, um, 
and I don't necessarily mean business-wise, I mean um, having a good work-life balance. Um, you know, if, if um, I ended up being in a relationship and married to be maintaining that as well, um, you know, that good balance. I never want to be that workaholic guy who never sees, you know, that person mm. I'm in a relationship with. I think that's horrible. I guess taking advantage of um, whichever situation I'm in. Happy to be single the rest of my life, but equally happy to be married and share that with someone. Would love to continue to be, I guess, in the future, be um, someone who, yeah, I guess continues to grow in that understanding of who I am, what my role is here on earth for the next 50 years or whatever, Mm. 10 years, Um, you know, and just do that well. Um, but be mindful of it, not just float along, killing time, um, you know, uh, but actually be mindful of everything I do, have purpose to everything I do. I think that's a big thing for me, having purpose to everything I do, even the small things, uh, purpose to meeting up with certain people, purpose to sitting here chatting with you right now, purpose to um, why I believe what I do, and not just because everyone has to have something like a religion to believe in or be a part of, but actually put effort into um, being mindful of why I believe what I do and work hard at that. Um, I think continue to be that person and meet people where they're at, um, whether that be in like um, coffee land and meeting people where they're at with their coffee journey. Because that's, I mean, you know, part of the hospitality of cafes and coffee bars is um when people are walking through the door if i've met them or not i'm doing a hundred calculations in my mind about how to say hi to them Mm. you know do i say hi to them hey um do i call them sir do i call them madam do i call them mate um you know i change my tone with every person that comes in the door like differently um, how I approach them are they on their phone and just want their coffee real quick or do they want to sit around like stand around and have a chat and I guess that mentality would like to take um, into friendships and relationships and the people I meet um, making those hundred calculations with the people that I meet throughout life um, but definitely don't have any big plans <laughs> um, I leave that door open Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.